Welcome back to Words from the Woods, a Trails Rock podcast, and happy first contact day to all you alien watchers out there. We just finished up five amazing episodes to celebrate Women's History Month, and we hope you enjoyed them. We are joined today by Jeff Macbeth, our go-to guy for all things tech-related in the trail running world. Jeff knows a thing or two about satellites and how all those fancy gadgets on our wrists track what we do while we're running. So in part one today, we will talk all things tech and running related. And then after a brief break, we'll be back to see how all of this fits into our local running scene with the Trails Rock app, our website, some futures, and even the benefits of going running without your watch. And yes, your run does count, even if it's not on Strava. Our song bringing us in today is aptly titled Celestial Navigation. With that, let's get to it. Hey, welcome today with Jeff Macbeth. How are you? I'm doing great. Yourself? Not too bad. So Sheila's here with us. Jeff is here with us. And it's uh, it's National Happy National First Contact Day. Live long and prosper, sir. That's right. So for the uninitiated, can you guys explain what that is? <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll do that. I've been looking at um, themes for the podcast episodes and... Um, all these days, like you have like National Donut Day, National Dog Day, Best Friend Day, and one was National First Contact Day, which is um, for the first time that humans will encounter aliens. We celebrate it. So has it happened? Will it happen? I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, no, not yet. I don't think we're at the right start date yet. Oh, you don't think so yet? <laughs> no. no. Yeah, Zeph from Cochrane hasn't flown the Phoenix, and we got to have that happen. Ah, that's right. That's right. So... So listen, today we're we're going to be talking about um, sort of all things tech in the in the running world, and then a little bit about um, how we do some things here at Trails Rock with that. But just in general, some tech stuff, and then a break, and then we'll talk about um, you know how that impacts us locally here. So I think the most important thing, though, is Jeff, an opportunity for you to sort of introduce yourself for us. I mean, we know you so well. But um, for you to introduce yourself to us and sort of um, when did you first learn about Trails Rock? Um, why did you join the board? Um, what's it like being the tech guy with non-techy people around? Do we know any non-techy people? That would be me. <laughs> uh, seriously? No, you're a nerd. <laughs> but I'm not a techie nerd. Yeah. Uh, and like one of, one, of, one of the terrifying things is... Um, Things are moving so fast with technology that, you know, there, there was a time where I could say, yeah, I've got a pretty good understanding of the computery stuff that goes on in the world. And that's just not true anymore. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later. But um, <laughs> as far as um, Trails Rock, um, first and foremost, I am a technical person. I'm a nerd. I'm horrible with humans. Um, <laughs> not true. And well, oh, well, <laughs> so I was... I had been challenged by my sister in order to uh, do a sprint triathlon. And so I had signed up with um, Fleet Feet to do one of their, do. they used to do a duathlon down in Mendipons Park. Right. And so for the run section, it just about killed me. And this wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't on the trails, right? But it's that, it's that little boat landing road down, uh, what is that, southwest of the uh, beach lot? Yeah. Yep. 
And I'm like, this sucks. There's got to be some way to do this run better. So I started looking around, looking around, and I, I actually found the Trails Rock website. This is going to be 2011, uh, 2012, somewhere in there. And it just so happened that I knew Ron Perkins already. Um, awesome. Uh, not very well, enough to know the general makeup of each other's families, but that was really about it. And so I'm, my idea was is I was going to go up, introduce myself, and then just start learning about trail running from the Trails Rock people. Um, <laughs> and so one Tuesday night, you guys were all down there for a Tuesday night run, and I walk up to Ron. I'm like, hey, Ron, how's your girls? <laughs> <laughs> And so that's my introduction. Um, I ended up running a lot with the Wednesday morning crew. So um, Mama Lama and Ben, uh, usually along the Crescent Trail. So that was most of my interaction with Trails Rock. Um, let's hear. And then I'm trying to remember the first time that we ran together, Matt, would have been at Dryer Road Park. Yeah, I had, I had given that. you guys a folding table before, but I think our first run where we were aware of each other would be that. Go on. Yeah, so we were previewing the um, Ready Set Glow. Glow course, and um, you had a map, a paper map of all things for the tech guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you um, you wanted to do it on your own. <laughs> you didn't really want to wait. You didn't want people to wait. And you you were like, hey, I'm going to figure this out, right? Yeah. So I remember kept... sort of running back and forth, and you, you going, I'm fine. I know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I've got a real thing about being a burden on other people. And so every time you ran back, which, you know, Trails Rock's always been good about, is making sure people in the back don't get lost. I'm like, oh, here he is again. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, listen, we're so glad to have you on the board. Um, it's been eight years. Someone that can <laughs> can manage some of this stuff is is. Uh, lifesaver for us so but let's let's just jump into it then i think um if we were going to talk about like the number one thing technology wise that that trail runners runners in general endurance athletes just runners yeah. it's got to be a gps watch right yeah probably i mean you know there's the people that run with just the with just the timex for the timing but it's really that gps watch is kind of that thing that everyone reaches for so let's let's talk a little bit about the i guess we could call it gps for dummies kind of um, what it is, how it works, where it came from, how they get onto watches. Let's... Explain it to me like I'm five, because that's my knowledge base. Okay. Um, so uh, there is a – so I'm going to go complicated here for a second, then we're going to drop down to the five-year-old thing. Okay. Perfect. So there's a, there's a military constellation of satellites about 20,000 kilometers above the ground, and there's a whole bunch of them. Okay? And so – what they're all doing is they're all shouting. We're going to go to the five-year-old thing. Is they're all shouting Marco Polo. <laughs> and you're in the pool with your eyes closed. And what, what the watch is essentially doing is it's listening for all those shouts and figuring out where it is because the satellites are saying, here's where I am and what time it is. That's how they say Marco Polo. Got it. Um, and essentially... Um, yeah, so so they're basically. I know this one's to the left. I know this one's to the right, and so that tells me about where I am. And the more the more satellites that you get a signal off of, the better. Um, there's a lot of complex stuff going on there. So when my watch is when I first turn it on and it says searching for satellite. Yeah. It's looking for one satellite, or it's looking for more than one. So what it's trying to do is it's trying to get enough announcements from usually usually. Uh, GPS watches won't even announce that they've got a connection till till it's listening consistently to six or seven. Got it. 
Um, and the more that it can get a hold of, the better. Um, there's been a couple years. Uh, United States government made these in order to, uh, well, mostly drop bombs on people better, but also so that their soldiers don't get lost. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other countries started looking around saying, hey, we want that too. And the U.S. has several times demonstrated their ability to just degrade the signal and turn it off if they feel like it. Okay. And so uh, the European Union's got a set up of satellites called Galileo. I don't remember what the Chinese set is called. Um, the Russians have one. And so for the last, oh, almost decade now, most GPS watches have this little thing where you can tell it to not just listen to the U.S. GPS satellites, but also listen to usually the Russian and the uh, European satellites, too. So they can pull, like, multiple channels in. Yeah, because basically the more signals they get, the better job they're going to be able to do figuring out where they're at. So more accurate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's lots of there's lots of problems still. Um, the most... I think <laughs> so when you look at your GPS in your car, for example, mm -hmm. um, or you're, you're driving with the GPS on your phone, um, there's a bunch of tricks that it's pulling in order to make things look better than they really are. And one <laughs> of them is, is that they actually snap you to the roads. And so the when the car is showing you your current location, it doesn't show you, you know, five meters to the left in the middle of someone's house. Right. Because <laughs> that's not a normal place for a car. Right. Um, and so fundamentally for trail runners gps watches while they're a great technology we're kind of in the worst possible case because it, it can't cheat and snap you to a road um how long the signals take to get to you just like with someone shouting there's echoes um and so when we're out and among the trees or among the canyons um mm -hmm. that changes how long it takes for the sound to get it's not sound i'm sorry but i'm going to keep describing it as sound how long it takes for the sound to get to you Right. Um, and so for, for trail runners, it tends to be a bit of a pain. And one of the one of the other things, you know, we, we, we like to tease uh, road runners about, you know, how horrible that last hill is at the Boston Marathon and stuff. Right. That <laughs> that massive hill. Right. GPS really, really struggles with up and down. And if you think about um, if you think back to the to Marco Polo thing with your eyes closed, if 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 there were someone shouting Marco Polo walking right towards you, it would be really hard to tell. But if they walk to the left or to the right, you'd be able to pick it up real quick because your ear can tell the difference between left and right a lot easier. Right. Um, and so the same thing's happening with the satellites is it's a lot more difficult for them to tell, for you to tell if you're going up or down. Got it. Um, and so when we're running up and down our hills, uh, the GPS satellites don't track that as well. And, and then and some people, you know, because battery consumption is such an issue, some people will, will set their watches to maybe record every one second or every mm -hmm. 10 seconds or if you're doing like a huge event maybe every minute which isn't a big deal when you're a road runner because you're running a straight line down a road and yeah. one second later you're doing the same thing but if you're running ontario county park right. then one second later you've probably made three u-turns and and is this the same reason why if you're running near let's say the canyon in letchworth um why you'll get gps drift and your watch will show that you did like you dropped into the gorge you came back out of the gorge dropped yep. back in, and you didn't actually do any of that is that why that happens there's 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 two things happening there and some of it is a drift right where you're getting some echoes off the canyon walls right and that's confusing the watch on where you are and there, there's actually some new stuff coming out on brand new watches that tries to correct some of that issue okay. or at least make it somewhat better um which one do we want to hit first? So uh, GPS Block 3, which is a set of satellites that started going up about 
five years ago. Um, they started the there. There's two signals that come off that come off the um, that come off the satellite on two different frequencies, and the idea is that those two different frequencies are going to get affected by the um, by the atmosphere and the trees differently, and so you're going to be able to leverage them off against each other. Okay. And what happened is on block three, they stopped encrypting that second signal. So previously, like the military could use it so they could, you know, be do their accurate jerk stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you don't have to apologize. Go no. I, 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 <laughs> it's, kind of, it's legit. Yeah. Um, the way you described it is legit. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'll get back to that. Uh, the uh, so so that stuff was encrypted, but on Black Three, Block Three, it stopped being encrypted, and so the new watches, like um, the new Forerunners, the new um, Koros watches, are actually capable of listening in on that second channel, and it burns battery like crazy because it's having to do twice as much work now. Right. And so there's a lot of effort right now going on with all these different vendors now to leverage that extra signal, bring that bring up the accuracy a lot more. Um, and then the other the battery, yeah, and then and then okay. cut down on the battery usage, right? No, that makes um, sense. And so you were you were talking about acquiring one of the things I don't know if you remember, but back on the older older watches, I've always I've always been on Garmin uh, just through laziness. Um, and so like you've, you've got the old um you've got the old triathlon watches, which is what I got into the sport with, and you turn it on and it would sit there and it would take like two minutes to find satellites, yeah. right? And so what what. What the companies have started doing is since they've got access to your phone, usually, um, they'll start pre-caching the location of the satellites on your watch. And so they'll just secretly transmit information from your phone onto your watch saying, hey, here's where we think the satellites are going to be for the next day or two. Oh, wow. Um, and so every once in a while, a couple of times over the last two, three years, will be this thing where all, like, all the Phoenix watch users will suddenly freak out or all the Coros watch users will suddenly freak out because mm -hmm. all their GPS tracks are off by you know, hundreds of meters all of a sudden. And and what's what's happened is that the, the company uploaded the wrong data and it was off by a couple seconds and that was enough or fractions of a second and that was enough to throw everybody off. I have been um, running so rarely and using my watch so rarely at this point as I'm waiting for surgery next week that I went out the other day to use it and it yelled at me and said that I needed to go to my app and run an update probably because the signals that it, the watch yep. previously had used were no longer relevant. Yep. So uh, I had to I had to sit in the parking lot, let my phone run an update to the watch, and then sync to the satellites that I had not yet found. So so one of the things that I wanted to hit back on Sheila's question about uh, Letchworth in particular, although it affects trail runners everywhere, um, is uh, elevation data. Um, people complain <laughs> about this all the time on like Strava and stuff when they upload their their uh, roots all of a sudden how much they climb changes or yes, it'll say you out. went or it'll say you went down a cliff and came back up when you really didn't right and what's happening there is um the u.s government uh has some rules in it where data that isn't supposed to be restricted for national security or um uh like uh, uh corporate data is supposed to be available to everybody okay right? um and I mean, this has been really, really great boon for the GPS years because, for example, all the Google Maps and stuff and Open Maps and all them use uh, data from the U.S. Census called Tiger data. Um, but uh, the elevation data comes from a uh, NASA mission back in uh, the uh, 
early 2000, where they mounted a radar, di uh, two radar antennas in the top of the shuttle. And then basically flew around for two weeks, flew around the planet for two weeks, shooting radar at the ground and taking measurements of how far away the ground was. And uh, so that data has all been converted into, um, through some magic, into data that doesn't have trees in it, doesn't have buildings in it, <laughs> from the year 2000. Um, and it really is magic, what they're doing. It's not entirely real and made up and really cool. But yeah. um, so what there is, is there's this database out there called the SRTM. Um, it's about 30 meter postings. And so... Uh, let's see, your football people, that's 30 yards. That's just shy of 100 feet. Um, and so there's a, just a single point saying every 100 feet, this is how high this part of the planet is. Right. Wow. And but we so, know that's worth every 100 feet. <laughs> yeah, everything's changed completely, right? And so, again, for Strava, which, you know, started with road biking and then moved into road runners, and then the trail people kind of started getting into it, like, the SRTM was perfect for them, right? Because it was able to smooth out the kind of road stuff that was going on. But again, with us, you know, uh, you're not even going to be able to see probably the ridge at the, you know, the, those final two miles of uh, Muddy Sneaker. Yeah, or like, you know, if I was thinking if you're running on, on the Finger Lakes Trail, mm -hmm. in 100 feet, you could have gone down and up three separate gullies of creek yep. streams. And those could be 10 to 15 feet each time. Yep. And it might measure as zero. Yep. So, so you could have climbed, you know, 45, 50 feet in that, in that hundred foot run and it's measuring as a zero. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you don't really get your real number on how much you climb. So what do they do to counter for that? Um, so most watches these days, uh, most high end watches at least tend to have a barometer in them. Right which is okay if you've not got sudden weather changes while you're running. And I was if just it's... going to ask about that, yeah. So yeah. Like today, for example, it was 45 degrees to start the day, and then it got up to 82 degrees, and now it's 45 degrees again. Yeah, and so probably associated with it, we had a you know a high-pressure front come through and then a low-pressure front. And those pressure fronts are probably enough to, if they happen while you're running, throw off everything. Now, <laughs> the watches tend to have filters on them that try to catch this kind of thing. Like, my watch shouts storm alert all the time when nothing's going on <laughs> um, because it's looking at that barometer, right? And those barometers are just little holes in the side because they have to have access to air. And, you know, one thing about... Uh, trail runners and tiny little holes as it gets filled with, filled with mud and dirt yeah. and grind. So that's tough too. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of careful math and transforms to try to keep the data as clean as possible. But, and you know, this data is 23 years old now too. Right. Like the world may have, the yeah. land may have changed in a few spots, huh? <laughs> yep. Just one or two. Yeah. So let's talk about, so my my opinion on this, and may, maybe we'll go back and forth, I'm not sure. I feel like most of the watches that we have are overpowered for what we really use them for on a, on a daily basis. Would you agree or would you disagree with me? Um, I think we very often don't consider our actual needs when we buy watches. Right. <laughs> so like if someone's going to buy the the new solar powered garmin that can last for you know 62 days um but they are a like a weekend warrior trail runner and they hardly ever go on lo runs longer than 10 miles what well, they didn't really need that did they uh, no um <laughs> you know in some sense that's uh vanity is the wrong word because i have a nice watch 
and I'm not vain. <laughs> no, I, I'm totally vain. But they're right. So it's te- it's technology. It's cool. It's um the not the more expensive watches tend to look nicer. They tend to feel nicer. Sure, they tend right. to be yeah. smaller. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, like obviously we don't need GPS at all. But oh, well, that's that's a good point, I guess. But I fundamentally, know. if you're using it to record your runs, and what you need is you need something with a battery long enough that you don't have anxiety on your run about whether yeah. or not the battery's going to die. I right? do love the ability that they have now, though. So, like, we used to go to the you know the Adirondacks, and you'd have to bring a charger after like you climb a mountain because you want to get the track. But then your watch was, that was it. You, you wouldn't be able to use it the rest of the week. And now you have the ability to, like, it functions as an everyday watch. You can track a whole bunch of tracks during the course of the week. And you never have to charge it until the end of the week. Yeah. And so that's getting to that, you know, as we go to smaller and smaller transistor sizes, we tend to do better and better at uh, power control. And so we get the better compute with the less energy use and these these watches last longer i mean the watch i have right now is probably the smallest watch for running that i've ever owned but it can do so much more than those early ones right i was just gonna say i remember my first watch people used to make fun of me when i would wear it because it was so big i forget it was a garment i think yeah but it was enormous and now they're like normal sized yeah watches really with all that you know with more capability than those those early ones had yeah, I think I think the thing I've been most impressed with, more so even than accuracy and, and barometers and all that, is just the increased battery life on on the smaller watches. You say like, yeah, it's just been really impressive, and that is sort of funneling out into the rest of like battery technology is going everywhere right now, right? So you like you can have we have chainsaws that we take in for trail work. We don't have to carry the gas in with us anymore because the the battery powered chainsaws are just as efficient and you can just throw an extra battery in your backpack and you can't exactly throw a gallon of gas in your backpack without you know leaking or spilling and you know all that (laughs) stuff oh yeah i mean you know i've been with you out in the middle of the woods and you come home and you can't get the gas smell off you for a week carrying a a gallon you got a chainsaw in one hand a backpack on your back and a gallon of two gallon jug of gas in the other hand and you're hiking yep yeah, so the batteries yeah, have been. I, I haven't I've looked to see what the what the killer app was for batteries, but you know, like when when CDs came out, all of a sudden lasers started getting really really cheap because we figured out how to make them cheap for the CD stuff and yeah. whatever it was for batteries, we've it's been a, it's a big difference from you know like when I was a kid and oh absolutely yeah so if we were gonna get back to the um you know the tech bit a bit on like. You've heard the term the Strava tax. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that. But when people say Strava tax, if there's someone out there that's just learning about running tech right now, and maybe they got Strava and someone told them they should join and they put their run in and everything was different. And someone's like, oh, yeah, that's the Strava tax. What, what is that? So um, Strava's trying to do some more computation than, um, than what your watch is capable of because it's plugged in all the time. Um, and so what's, what typically happens is someone goes out and runs and their watch and their watch tells them, oh yeah, you got, you know, 10.01 miles. Cause they did that little, you know, 50 yard shuffle right after they got back, right. To make sure they rounded up to 10 and then they upload it to Strava and then Strava comes back and says, aha, you got a 9.9, whatever. Um, and so what Strava is trying to do is, um, as we've mentioned a couple of times, measurements are, um, 
noisy. There's lots of stuff going on. And so it tries to smooth things out just a little bit. And that act of smoothing shortens what your run marks as, but is probably a little more accurate. So you can imagine if you've ever looked at your track when you've stood still for um, some extended period of time, typically what you'll do is if you look at your track, it'll look like you've been bouncing around about five meters to the left and to the right. Yeah. And that's just measurement noise. And that's happening all the time. So Strava is trying to remove some of that, that's but funny. any removal of the noise makes it look like you run less distance, which you did. Right. <laughs> one of the one of my favorite Strava tracks of all time. They, they pro I probably drove them nuts. I I did a run on a cruise ship on the track <laughs> while the while we were moving. Yeah, and all I got was a, a straight line on the ocean. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the kind of stuff that threw off the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with everybody. Yeah, you are. So. Let's talk, shift gears a little bit and talk about communication in the back country because that has traditionally been an issue, but there's some new technologies coming out to hopefully help with that. So can you talk a little bit about options if you're going into the back country where you wouldn't necessarily have like a cell phone signal to be able to call for help? Yeah, so, so absent, absent cell phones and absent you carrying around ham gear, um, Really, the stuff that's been coming around lately is uh, improved satellite communications. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember the name. There was a big old satellite uh, cluster that got launched as part of the original dot-com boom that starts with an I. And I'm sorry, I didn't write down what this was going to be. Um, and basically what, what people started... <laughs> so when we originally did communication satellites, uh, the idea was that you would put them up really high and you'd only have to launch three or four of them to cover the planet. Um, which works really great when you've got base stations to do satellite communications and you don't have speed as a need. Um, what's been happening since the 2000s is that companies have started launching lots and lots of low earth satellites. And you have to launch a bunch of them because any given one satellite is only going to be over the horizon for three, maybe four minutes in that orbit. If you've okay. ever looked up to watch the International Space Station, it's only overhead for about three, four minutes. Right. Um, and so you have to launch hundreds and thousands of these things, right, in order to cover the Earth. But because they're so much closer. So we talked about GPS being about 20,000 kilometers out. Okay. And like uh, the Starlinks, the International Space Station, um, those communication satellites whose name I can't remember, they're all launching up into about 500 kilometers. And so that's... Oh, wow. 400 times closer? No, yes, I can't do math today. Closer. Yeah. Tons, tons closer. Okay. And signal falls off with the square of distance, um, <laughs> which again, I'm being nerdy in math. But So basically, the closer you get, the more signal you can pick up. And right. so um, you've got you've got things like uh, the new Apple phones. Uh, mm -hmm. They have a deal with, I don't remember who, to communicate with their satellites. Um, but they've got a crappy antenna in their phones at <laughs> Um, yeah, the, so they uh, have like an app actually built right in, it looks yep. like, to the new, I think you have to have 14 or newer. And so there's this little app and it tells you the way to orient your phone to kind of sort of point it towards these yeah. satellites in the hopes that you uh, that you get it pointed right. Um, the communication text messaging, I think, correct? It is text messaging. It's yeah. one way only still. Okay. Um, but better than nothing if you have... But better than nothing. Right. But, you know, since since uh, the Android folks and the Apple folks optimize for ridiculously small phones, it's really hard to get a good antenna in there. Right. Uh, and particularly an omnidirectional antenna, which is what you'd kind of want for um, 
uh, satellite communication, so you don't have to be pointing it directly at something, right? Right. We're in the northern hemisphere, so if you point vaguely south, you're in good. You're probably doing a good job, but <laughs> it's not easy. Um, Garmin's got a thing called InReach, that's mm-hmm. really about a phone size. Yeah. Uh, but it's a separate device. Uh, you have to get a plan to use it, but it does allow two-way communications. Um, you don't have to point at something. It's got a lot better uh, battery life than your phone does. Okay. Uh, tends to be a lot more hardened against the elements. And so it's, you know, if you fall into a, into a lake or something, it's less likely to be destroyed by the water than your phone is. Right. Um, so those tend to be probably your best bet still. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've seen, how much you've seen in the news with the uh, the war in Ukraine, the uh, the Russian invasion, but they're, they've become very heavily reliant on um, Elon Musk's company that has a couple thousand satellites up now. And so they're using satellite comms to keep everything functional. So the Russians bomb the cell towers and bomb the infrastructure and they've right. been able to stay online because uh, the U.S. government is essentially paying um, Starlink to um, send over all these uh, transceiver stations. And so really what's going to happen is at some point, someone, maybe him, maybe someone else is going to get the price down low enough and those kinds of things are going to be available for actually fairly wide bandwidth. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like theoretically, in the next few years, what could be um, possible with you know with that? Yeah. So the the Starlink folks aren't the only folks. They're just kind of the furthest ahead right now, and you know they've got a they've got a pretty strong, solid base of support from from the government there to get their satellites launched, and they've got a really cheap launch platform. So they're Great. probably launching couple dozen a week right now huh. um which is a real big problem if you like looking up at the stars but um <laughs> but good for communication but good for communication if you don't want to get lost um well yeah if you want to get found by other people <laughs> um and so i i i would not be surprised if at some point someone like garmin um signs a deal with a company like starlink and sets up better comms for two-way. Um, that would be amazing for something like uh, a Man and Jenny or a Twisted Branch or some of these other more, even more remote trail races that just don't have anything right now. Right. It's a challenge. The, um, and, you know, we talked about the amazing battery tech. I think, you know, we've mentioned a couple times antenna, and the antenna tech has gotten tons better in the last decade or two also, where um, if you remember the old 1980s, cell phones that people made fun of you know the the rich yuppies with the giant brick about three quarters of that about three quarters of that phone was battery and then the other three quarters was a giant antenna to be able to talk to the nearby station and um basically because we've got so much math available to us on these computers these days we can do these careful analyses and build these really strangely shaped antennas that are capable of collecting signals really well and so that's that's been the other big secret why, why that Garmin Insight can be so small, why they can even try to fit a satellite antenna inside a, um Apple phone. Yeah. So, well, that's, uh, I feel like, so we're, we're going to take a quick break. I feel like what we could have done, I mean, I feel like you could have a whole, and, and someone probably out there has done this, like literally an entire episode on it, like just one of these little topics, right? Yeah. So, but I, I love to like, get people thinking about what the tech that we're using is, where it came from, all that kind of, you know, all that stuff. So we're going to put a bunch of the stuff that we've talked about so far here in the show notes. Um, But we've got to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, 
we want to talk about some stuff that's happening here locally. So the Trails Rock app, um, maybe some needs that we have for the Trails Rock app. If anybody out there is tech savvy, we'll talk about that. Um, what are some future things that it could do? Um, what's going on with our website? Um, and then some maybe some benefits of going tech free. So we'll take a quick break. So Jeff, we'll be, uh, I'll give you a, a quick five minutes and then we'll be back. Okay. Not a problem. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, welcome back. Hey, thank you. It was the Iridium satellites that were launched in the early 2000s. Ah, you did some research on the break. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, you, you know, right there at the end, you were mentioning, um, right before the break, you were talking about, you know, where all this stuff came from. Um, and, I, I mean, first of all, the thing that we kept hitting is so many of these different technologies, this elevation map, the roadmaps, the GPS, the batteries, you know, this is largely coming from investments that the U.S. government made in things. Right. Um, and just one of the things that really, so I, I do a lot of work on this kind of stuff in my day-to-day -day life with, uh, with satellites and stuff. And one of the things that really strikes me is um, during World War II, this is, so during World War II, um, you know, lots of, lots of men went off to war in Europe and in the Pacific. Right. And as part of that, all these, all these ladies stepped into the gap. Um, and we're basically hired by the U.S. government to fill all these holes in the in the technical topics, right? Because right. they are going to be allowed to fight. And this is the same time when rocketry and satellite work was getting off the ground. And so when you start looking into where um, the ability to do GPS, where the ability to do these imaging satellites, where the ability to do the frequency hopping stuff that's in Bluetooth came from, what it is is it's really smart women who got themselves into the into the U.S. government and developed all of this work and hung on as the men came back, hung on to their jobs and just kept doing amazing work for the rest of their lives. And so um, I know you and I have talked in the past about um, Grace Hopper, who is an admiral, who um, yep. ended up being an admiral, but ended up, you know, basically inventing uh, large portions of computer science. Um, but they're like... You know, the ground imaging, you've got Virginia Norwood, who just died like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. And Hedy Lamar is a famous actor who, during World War II, got all excited about ways to prevent the Germans from jamming our torpedoes and invented what we use to do cell phones and Bluetooth audio. Um, you got Gladys West. I mean, the if you've seen uh, Hidden Figures, all those ladies, I mean, those ladies were really, really important to the development of all of this technology. And so we had this amazing set, you know, in the late 40s, early 50s of these ladies just creating all the foundational science for uh, the world that we enjoy today. And then, you know, eventually, you know, some of them got pushed out and some of these things became male dominated I was professions say, I, I again. I picture them like, you know, with a, with a chalkboard in the 40s and 50s running like calculations and erasing it and redoing it yeah. and having these amazing breakthroughs. And then having some guy come in and go, ah, that's my idea now. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, there's this, just this amazing golden age where you don't even have to look hard to find these women just doing so much. And what yeah, we have now comes from them. It, I'm glad that you brought it back to this because I noticed it in the notes. Um, we have um, notes between us and whoever is our guest for the day. And I noticed um, all of those names that you had added into the notes about women. And then I completely forgot about 
asking you about them. So I'm glad that you brought it back to that because it's um, just something really interesting. And I think coming off of Women's History Month, but then also just knowing where our technology comes from and, um, you know, appreciating how much work it has taken to get to where we are. Yeah. I think what we'll do too, Jeff, is we'll, we'll take all of the stuff that we talk about. I'll throw show notes together. So uh, um, all those names that, that you mentioned that have had such an impact on this field, um, we'll, we'll put some names and some links um, into the show notes for people that are interested in, in learning more. They can carry on. And um, just like we did with all our previous episodes, um, they can learn about who these amazing people are in a little bit more depth. That would be great. Cool. So we wanted to kind of spend the next chunk of today's show talking a little bit more about technology as it relates to Trails Rock. So we thought a good place to start would be our app. So for those of you who don't know, Trails Rock has an app which is completely free and it has trail maps of the parks in our area, local parks. Um, and it has a lot of really cool features. So Jeff, can you talk a little bit about how that app came about and maybe some of the cool features and why someone might want to download that to their phone? Yeah, so um, you can correct me on some bits, but essentially uh, Mertzok, who uh, used to be on the Trails Rock board, Mike Mertzok, um, yes. great runner, still still running around, likes to do the mountains a little more and Yep. So I don't get to see him as much. Uh, ended up writing an an app for the uh, for the Apple phones because that's where he's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just forgot his name because they moved out of town. Tim, Tim Raggett. Yeah, Tim Raggett ended up I writing just the. Just saw them this past weekend. Oh, that's so cool! I I really liked them. Yeah. I, I, I like everybody, but <laughs> I did like them quite a bit. Um, yeah. ended up writing a an Android version of the app. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, They've gone through a couple evolu- uh, gone through a couple evolutions over the years, but essentially what they do is that uh, Mertzak and I have uploaded uh, information about our local trails um, into a service called Mapbox, and then um, the Android app and the iOS app uh, essentially use the GPS and uh, any other location services on your phone, and then uh, ask uh, essentially Mapbox to draw the local the 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 local trails and we've gone to some effort to try to get the colors right the routing right information about stuff that you know we tend to be interested in like where do- where nearby dog parks where's parking uh where's uh water av- available if there's some kind of an emergency um, right those kinds of things mm-hmm. and so really all it's doing is it's showing it the phone's current best guess at where you are right on a map that's been specially curated by trail runners of the area for important pieces of information And it's super helpful. I mean, I'm pretty comfortable on most trails in this area at this point, but there's still certain parks that for some reason I just mentally haven't been able to wrap my mind around. And I know I've used the app a number of times, especially like leading a group run or um, trying to figure out where to meet someone, like to tell someone to meet me at a certain spot on the trail. Um, So it's super helpful to have access to that kind of thing. And I, I feel like, Every time people find out about the app, they're excited about it. And it's it's so useful. Yeah. yeah. I have a great story about the app. I was leading a, a training with like 80 educators. And um, I, so I introduced myself. And um, I, you know, I just said, you know, I, I'm a trail runner. I like to get outside and hike and camp. And then I carried on with my day. And then we had a lunch break. 
And as we were eating, I was listening to two women talking and one was they, they had taken that cue of, you know, getting outside and they were talking about this amazing app and she's <laughs> going on and on and on. And so I went over and I was just kind of standing there listening. And then she's like, you said you like trail running. She's like, you would love this app. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what is it? And she's like, it's called Trails Rock. And she's like explaining the whole app to me. And I was like, that's funny. And I was like, have you looked at the website? <laughs> <laughs> and then so they pulled up the website she's like oh my god and i was like yeah i'm like we're part of that so it was pretty cool but it's neat to hear about it spreading like that so why do you think um i think people locally should use it but why what do you think the benefits of the trails rock app are over something like an all trails or something like that here locally so i i do think one of the benefits is uh the curation and the marking of things that are specific to us. Um, right. the, the, the big ones don't do the blaze colors. Yeah. Yep. Um, where we do the blaze colors. Um, I know uh, when there's been trail reroutes, uh, for example, uh, the Crescent Trail folks have been able to contact us and we've been able to get that distributed fairly quickly. Where um, I think, for example, the Christmas tree farm entrance, which has been off limits now for, I don't remember how long, still shows up on all trails. Um, and you know when we really need to respect these people's uh, thoughts of what what their how their property should be used so that we continue to have access to the parts that they do allow us to use. Um, I think those are really the big ones: is the curation and the uh, the the specificity of the information in there. Um, That's kind of funny. We just had a um, a little tech flab there. Our internet went down while we were recording and it was like, hey, stop talking. <laughs> so I'm gonna let you in on a little secret is that tech nerds don't have less tech problems, they're just more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about why you should use the um, Trails Rock app instead of like an all trails and you had mentioned, you know, we, we curate a little bit, we have the colors, what else do we have that, that all trails might not have? I think the other one's just going to be the responsivity to the uh, trail conditions changes. Like we've got a partnership with the Grok folks so that when they change, for example, the trails that they take care of, they, they let us know. And we make sure that uh, the stuff that we're doing is uh, working with them and so that they can best support the needs of the uh, landowners and the uh, interested parties of the, the, of those parks too. Perfect. So we, one thing I want to touch on real quick is that, um, one thing that is important to people right now they're starting to pick up on is a little bit of, um, you know, privacy when it comes to using your device. So people that might want to download this and are like, Hey, I don't want these weirdos from this trails rock board knowing where I am. What's that like for the app? How's what's our privacy settings on the app? So we collect absolutely no information about anybody at all. Right. Um, so we do use Mapbox to provide the maps and, as part of that, what's happening is the, the phone is asking Mapbox, give me the maps around this particular region. I would eat my hat if Mapbox is not writing down, hey, someone just asked for, asked for this particular region. But there's no, there's no account attached to that. There's no, um, there shouldn't be uniquely identifying information. Now they could be pulling some shenanigans, but that is. <laughs> but we wouldn't know. But we, I was just we, would, we wouldn't know and we wouldn't have control over it. Um, and so, um, Google and Apple makes us do affidavits and, uh, does, uh, routinely does audits 
of our our app and our policies, um, which has caused us a little bit of uh, heartburn <laughs> on the Android side. Um, not because we're failing the audits, just because we can't get past the automated audits and talk to the humans to find out what exactly they need. But um, yeah, from, from our point of view, uh, we don't know what phones it's installed on, who's using it, when they're using it, any of that information. We don't collect anything like that at all. There is no callbacks. Um, one of the things that is so interesting to me as a non-tech person um, is just watching kind of all of the work that goes into these apps um, and all of the things that I had no idea were going on kind of in the background. Um, so we did want to ask you because it is a huge undertaking to have this app that's super responsive and that you're constantly updating. So what are, if there are any, some needs that maybe you as our tech leader have in regards to our apps? Um, I mean, fundamentally, if there are people out there with interest and time related to Android in particular, um, although we do have access to the source code and control of the, the Apple app too, um, it is a simple application. So if people are familiar with the infrastructure, help on getting that running and keeping it running would be greatly appreciated. Like I said near the beginning, there was a time in my life where being a technical person meant you knew everything about computer. You knew enough about computers to be dangerous everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's simply not true anymore. Right. And so, uh, application development, I, I program computers all day, every day. I deal with satellites all day, every day. I deal with maps all day, every day. And yet the, uh, the infrastructure for Android is so wildly different that the, um, context switch going mm -hmm. from what I normally deal with and what Android's like is, for me, painful because it's so different. For someone who's comfortable with Android, would not be painful. So if it's, we were looking for like the quickest job announcement ever, it would be like you know now hiring Android app specialist who understands maps. Yeah. Minus the hiring part. Minus the hiring part. <laughs> no, we'll hire you, but what you get is you get a you get a bagel at our next race, right? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of warm fuzzies knowing that people are using your app to um, not get lost and to be safer in the woods. Yeah. So if there is anybody that is listening that's mm -hmm. got that inclination to work on Android apps, we could maybe pick your brain or use a little bit of your spare time. We would love it. Give us a call. Email us, charlesrock at gmail.com. Yeah, I mean, I'll fundamentally, the code base is pretty small. So there's not a lot to, but it's that, you know, working in the, the Android style rather than, you know, my style, which tends to be on big, heavy iron stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, kind of in that same vein, if we're thinking about where the app is going and it's amazing already as it is. Um, but what are some of the things that you would like to see, or maybe you've talked to other people, things that, um, maybe are coming up in the future. So, um, I think the, the ones that really, uh, I've talked to Mertzak about a little bit is um, trying to get trying to get um, some overlays available on it so that, for example, if you wanted to go down and run um, like the Blue Loop for Mighty Mosquito, right. right? If the Mighty Mosquito people were okay with that, what we would do is we would provide a little button that you could turn on on the side, and we we dim the rest of the trails and highlight the uh, the Blue Loop for Mighty Mosquito. 
-hmm. and people would be able to run that. Um, so we'd like to do that, um, improve the search. The Apple search I hear is okay-ish. Uh, the Android search just doesn't even work yet. Um, and again, that's getting back to that, that development need. Um, mm -hmm. And they're, they're both pulling from the same database, right? So that, that's not the problem. It's so just... the search being like, if I type in Durand, it will pull yeah. up the right park. Yep, yep, yep. Or, you know, if you wanted something more complicated, we actually encode uh, blaze colors. We encode uh, the lengths of the trails. And so theoretically, if you wanted to see all the black trails for some bizarre reason, you could do that. Or look, I'm standing near a black blaze. Where could I possibly be? Right. <laughs> Although if your location services aren't working, you're in big, bigger trouble. <laughs> um, but you could also say, hey, what kind of what, you know, how long is this path between like the water tower and the uh, end of the orienteering west loop in Menda Ponds? And that kind of information is actually in the app. Uh, it's just not um, typically what you have to do right now is you have to tap on that specific um, segment right now. And then right. a little uh, information box pops up. Yeah. So it's still accessible, but you're saying you're hoping to make it more, more visible, accessible. Yeah. You know, it's going back to that curation thing is what kind of information is actually interesting to the trail runners local to here. And yeah, I would personally, I would love to see some of our local races yeah. get loaded because a lot of people, they like to train where they're going to race mm -hmm. and they yeah. just, they could have run it with a group a million times, but they're just not comfortable going out onto that course, you know, so they just, you know, maybe somebody wants to go run muddy sneaker down in high tour, but they, <laughs> they don't want to get lost down there because who knows where they end up and yeah. um, being able to have one, the app, get them out of there, but to keep them on the course. Yeah. Um, I think people would love that feature. So well, and that, kind of thing's a, for that. <laughs> that kind of thing is a great halfway step, right. To get people comfortable yeah. um, on the trails on their own because you know there's that there's that nice thing where you're with a group and you can just kind of head down and as long as you can see the calves of the person in front of you you're fine yeah and you know there's there's extra information there when you um when you're just running with the app at that point you've got to you know pay attention to the blazes and right. look down at your phone from time to time right yeah i was gonna say i think it's like a almost a confidence booster too even if you're not using it just knowing that if you get lost, you can pull your phone out and open the app up, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, interacting with um, like the Grok and one, one group that I'd like to, I really, I'd really like the trail runners to interact more actually is um, with Rock, which is the Rochester orienteering group. Right. Um, Cause they do a lot of really great work around on these trails also. Um, right. Yeah. We're so lucky. We have so many groups in this area that are doing, great things so the more we can partner the better the app becomes yeah. and people are using it i mean even non-runners are using it because i know um like i've come across hikers too who are confused about where they are and i'm like download this app yeah. you know yeah. so um well, yeah so one additional question we have for you is so we've been talking a lot about technology and running with technology and um how it kind of can become a security blanket, I guess, for some people. But there's also kind of the opposing side of that uh, belief, I guess, of running tech-free. So we wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about that aspect of running. What do you? How do you feel about running without a watch, without a phone? Uh, I think it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
there there are certainly people that get you know we we talk about kids getting caught up in their phones and i certainly do at home right? right where I'm just staring at my phone. Shoot, I've been in a meeting with you where I'm looking at my phone more than I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> and um, there's something about being out in the woods, getting your head up and looking right. around and observing the terrain around you. You know, again, it's that. Um, you get on a group run and it's really, really easy to just lock in on the on the the sole of the shoes of the person in front of you, right? Right. And just stay concentrated on that. And you know, you'll hear you're, you'll hear the people talk about, oh, you crazy trail runners miss all the beauty, and sometimes we miss some of the beauty, right? Right. And I, they blame the pace, and I don't think it's the pace. I think it's just that willingness and ability and skill. I mean, some of this is skill, you know, to lift that head, right? And and look at the world around you. I am astounded since I started trail running, my ability to walk around in the woods in the dark without light. <laughs> just because I naturally pick my feet up more than I used to, right? That's but, interesting. Yeah. I, but, I um, running yeah. without all that stuff too, it gives you a, a little bit of a sense of, of like understanding of, of where you are and what you're doing. Yeah. And I think my one of my favorite stories, Dennis Van Kirkhoff and I um, used to run, he would lead the Thursday night groups for Medved, but they didn't run in the winter. And we wanted to keep, the group going and that was where the advent of the Tuesday night runs came from but Dennis would run without a watch and he had run he had worked I believe he worked at Kodak for all these years and he would have an hour for lunch and he would need to get in like a 30 minute run so he would change run and get back and so he had figured out in his head how far and how long something like that would take so we would do a group run and he would say it's going to be about an hour we'll run about six miles and I, we would come back. I have my GPS and he looked at me and he go, how'd I do? And I was yeah. like, 59 minutes, 5.9 miles. <laughs> like, he was so good at it. Um, and, and running that pace. And sometimes we would stop and gather and look at things and like enjoy where we were. And he still knew how long he had been out there without any technology. Yeah. You know, that's um, the, uh, the Webster trail classic. The current course came from a lot of that as I was, um, you know, going back to the orienteering folks, I've been up in that park a lot using the orienteering maps. Mm -hmm. And I just went around and around that park so much that, you know, when we said, hey, we need a 10 mile, a three and a half. And, you know, last year when we said we need a one at that point, you know, I had run around in there so much. It was pretty easy to start stitching together trail segments in my head so that we had those distances. Right. And, you know, there was a lot of pre-work on the 10, but we chose to do some reroutes to, to simplify the uh, the two-way traffic on that thing. And right. um, those reroutes were actually pretty straightforward because, you know, in our heads were was the maps and the terrain and what we'd be putting people through and right. how to get how to get from point A to point B. Um, and so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, 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 I do. I'll see the, like some of the adventure running folks like um, Mort and the goose adventure racing people. And I'll see Olga um, at the orienteering events, uh, right. which they have about monthly, but really there should be more of us out there. Um, like using like paper maps and just getting. To yeah. So, so you, you've got a paper map, you've got a compass. Um, you've got this little RFID tag that you strap to your finger and then you're just out in the woods. Um, so the beginner courses are all on the trail. So you get to know the trails really well. Mm -hmm. And then as you go to the more advanced courses, they'll, they'll sometimes take you off trail and you'll see, you know, just these beautiful sections of the park that you never even knew existed. Um, and, you know, as a trail runner, um, 
you learn to be really good at running down on trails, strangely. And <laughs> so it's one of those crazy things. Like if you're a competitive person, one of those, like you, you're, you're running down the trails, which tend to be the longer way to go, but you tend to be able to beat the bushwhacking people, right. Who are just, <laughs> who are, you know, who are doing that traditional orienteering of taking a siding and just going in a straight line, right. They're pushing their way through the nettles and you're going around and you'll get there first. Um, and it's fun. It's a problem solving thing. You know, people talk about climbing and bouldering as this problem solving activity and it is, and you know, orienteering is a lot of that same thing. And it's really, it keeps your mind active while you're out running because you're solving problems and it's, it's, it's a, it's a glorious little adventure. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered tonight that you really wanted to touch on? Um, always. I mean, I, I can talk nerd <laughs> for, for hours and hours. I, I do love this stuff a lot. Um, and the woods too. I just, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to have you on for another episode. So if there's something listeners, if there's something that you um, want more information about, you can always email us and then we'll have Jeff back on to dig a little deeper because like Eric said earlier, the, this topic of technology and running is huge and we've just kind of like scratched the surface of some of the topics and but I did get confirmation that mike Mertzak, who um was the original creator of the app would be interested in coming on and talking too so oh, cool. we could have a whole bunch more to say about these topics so <laughs> very cool well like i said thank you so much jeff for your time today and your expertise thank you for an amazing um amazing app and website like all yeah. of the updates that you've done on the app um thanks to mike Mertzak for all of his work starting the app and tim raggett also um so we're gonna leave it here and next week we're really excited to celebrate national grilled cheese day so we are going to have on our friend cliff dean um but a lot of people maybe on social media know him as mr mo and we'll talk more about why that is he is a vegan, and we're going to talk about all things food as it relates to running. That's right. So, hardly all right, Jeff, thanks so much for your time today, and I um, hope everybody enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening. Adios. Bye. Sounds great. <laughs> Subscribe.